everybody, and welcome back to the Outbreak Podcast. This is now left for discussing creativity and the great beyond. We also discuss everything from gaming to film to the dark corners of the internet. I'm your host, Will- William Key. I don't know why I stumbled over my own name there. I should know what my name is by now. Uh, no co-host today, uh, I but I did want to discuss what the heck I've been doing the past couple of weeks. Because as you can see, there's been a bit of a time jump between episodes 6 and 7. And you probably thought... Oh, I'm not doing anything of note. Uh, I, I actually wasn't. <laughs> I uh, I had switched back to my day shift, so it's a little harder to record the podcast when I'm on days. Um, but I was also catching up on a shit ton of movies that I um, had recorded in my backlog. Uh, I, I'd go through over a couple of them now, and I'm going to talk about one in depth in a little bit. Um, I've got this app. Okay, I want to talk about this app for a sec. Uh, I heard it, um, I was listening to the Super Mega Cast, um, and the guys were talking about this app called Letterboxd, and it's basically a, a website where you can go and you can give five-star ratings, uh, well, one to five-star ratings on any films that you've watched over the course of time, basically. And it's been helpful in terms of helping me um, just find out like what, um, what I've watched, and... It also, and I'm going to go into this later on, it's helped me to kind of put together my official top 10 movies list of all time. Uh, so later on the podcast, stick around, I'm going to be talking about my top 10 games and movies. Uh, because originally, when I was doing Stardust Drive, I had a top 5 list. But I, I've gone over the years, I've been going back and forth about like top 10. I feel like I've never really thought that far, like... In, in terms of scale for both games and movies. And I shared my, my list with, with a friend from work. He suggested I um, do a top 10 television shows list. I might I might do that um, at a later time. Maybe I'll, I'll show it on a later episode. But I also kind of want to do a top 10 documentaries list. And this would include like documentary films or docu-series. Something like akin to a Making a Murderer type of series. Because I've watched... I've watched enough docu-series and documentaries that I think I could put together a top 10 list easy. Anyways, so, I've, and the reason why I've watched so many movies, it's not because of COVID, because I've, I've been at work, but we, we've been living at um, Sam's mother-in-law, uh, in-law's house, not just her mother-in-law, her, both her parents are here. So we've been living here for the past couple of months. Um, and we got onto their cable plan. So we got our own cable box, and we discovered that uh, in the 1250s, um, this is on Bell for anybody who lives in Canada, we were able to access three Crave channels, um, a Stars channel, and some HBO channels, as well as AMC, so all the big, all the big boys, the ones who you have the bigger productions. And we realized that they, they've been putting movies up there that have been, like, released in the past like year or two so some, some of that had come out of theater so I was able to watch something like Joker which I hadn't even seen in the theater um, which was amazing and then of course I've gone back and I've just recorded a bunch of movies that I've always wanted to see um, so I'll, I'll list off a couple of movies that I've watched in the past couple of weeks Stand By Me, Alita Battle Angel, Godzilla Kings of the King of the Monsters, Men in Black International, I rewatched The Shining, I've watched the Ace Ventura movies um, and not really anybody took part in my poll on Twitter, uh, but the one person who did voted for the same movie that I thought was the better Ace Ventura movie, which is When Nature Calls. 
because I think that Pet Detective, while it was a funny movie, it's very dated. The jokes in that movie can... There's a specific joke I'm referring to near the end, which does not hold up well in today's standards. Um, let me open up my list again. Uh, I watched some movie called Lucy in the Sky. Not very good. It was Natalie Portman. Um, Peanut Butter Falcon, Bohemian Rhapsody, Wizard of Lies, The Interview, and The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. And there's there's a bunch of other ones. Uh, I rewatched Spider-Man Far From Home, Aquaman, Venom, Joker, um, you know, getting my superhero itch. Um, but that's basically what I've been doing. I've been very lazy, and also Sam and I have been watching TLC. We... Ever since we've been back, we've been hooked on 90 Day Fiance. Um, so we're one of those people, you know. So we we don't miss an episode of, of Happily Ever After or The Other Way. Um, so we watch those. We watch the Pelo Talks. Um, and then, heck, I, I stick around Wednesday for, you know, shows like My 600 Pound Life. I also watch Dr. Pipple Popper. Like, there's... We've gotten, we've gotten ham into TLC. It's insane. I mean, I, I haven't really watched any of the other shows with the um, dozens of kids, like the parents who have dozens of kids. Um, I don't really know if that's my thing. I, this is literally the first time I've been watching reality TV since when Gene Simmons' Family Jewels was on television, and I, I love that show um, just because it was Gene Simmons. Anyways, that's been what I've been doing. Um... What else? I had something else I was going to talk about, and I can't remember. Oh, there was a specific movie that I wanted to discuss from my list. I hadn't mentioned it, but I, I, the only reason why I wanted to watch it was because Kubrick, developed, uh, Kubrick directed it. Uh, it was his, the final film he ever directed, actually. It was called Eyes Wide Shut. Anybody who's heard of this movie, uh, sound off. Uh, leaving a comment on Twitter or wherever you listen to this podcast because I was not expecting this movie to be what it was. I didn't read into it. I just saw... Um, I, I googled his uh, IMDb after watching The Shining. I wanted to know what else he had made. And then I found out that this was the last film that he had directed. Funny enough, just going through the actual page of, um, of this... This film actually holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest continuous film shoot at 400 days, which, honestly, with Kubrick's name attached to it, it doesn't really surprise me. Um, and apparently, Kubrick died six days after showing his final cut to Warner Brothers Pictures, which basically makes this the final film that he directed. And right now, one of my cats is going haywire. I think it's Abby. She's running around the fucking house, bouncing off of shit. So, I was not expecting this movie to be as overtly sexual, uh, and, and maybe it's my own fault. Maybe I should have done the research. But basically, it's about this um, these characters. Tom Cruise plays the main character, Bill Hartford, he's a doctor, and his wife, Alice, who's played by Nicole Kidman. The two of them were actually married in um, real life, and I think they were together for another two years until they divorced, I think, in 2001. Anyways, so Tom Cruise's character, Stump, uh, he basically um, he goes on this strange adventure, and he stumbles upon this night. This he infiltrates <laughs> this massive 
secret society that is basically an orgy a masked orgy and I and of course like the way it's shot the music the the like it's it's got Kubrick written all over it for sure there's some creepy scenes there's some creepy music playing it's slow paced but it pulls you in like I did obviously I wasn't watching this for the nudity like but there are some there are some really good shots in this film and just like it's it's acted very well too so besides Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman there's another uh, well-known actor Sidney Pollack who passed away about a decade ago so he's in this film as well and early on in the film you get this sort of um, awkward conversation between um, Tom Cruise's character and his wife um, and, and the wife in her drunken stupor admits to having a sexual fantasy with a man who is a like a Navy guard and then Cruise's character is driving around in the car going to visit a patient and he's fixated he's he's having these like daydreams about what the fantasy looks like and and watching um, his wife be with this other man and and they're sleeping together and yada 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 and then he stumbles into a jazz bar where he finds his friend his old friend who it plays piano and tells him about the secret club gives him the password to this club um, Tom Cruise goes and seeks out this club thinks like oh it's one of those secret just a secret party you know um, and throughout the film he's visit he's having these chance encounters with these women who all seem to love him though they all seem to be infatuated by him and they all are like throwing themselves at him and this is all the while while he is basically convinced that his wife has has had um, thoughts of being with another man and I think he's he's basically thinking to himself like oh I've never I've never been like that but he so easily falls into these traps with these other women throughout the movie and it, it makes me think that like the whole world is basically craving like this sexual urges and and I, I basically coined it all the world's an orgy man um, and it's it, it isn't until so we meet Sidney Pollock's character at the beginning of the film uh, the characters Bill and Alice are at this party um, I had assumed it was like a doctoral party like because he's a doctor it's like all these doctors together and then I, there's this weird scene where, where Bill gets called upstairs by Sidney Pollock's character who's in a room with this girl who's completely naked and apparently has blacked out on heroin or or something and Sidney Pollock's character is like putting his pants back on he's like has his shirt off and this was the first clue here that I, I suspected something was off about his character and I don't even give a shit I'm spoiling this movie it's over a decade old actually it's two decades old now if you want to watch it it's from 1999 um, and it turns out yeah so Tom Cruise is going through this sex orgy cult and nobody is revealing their face everybody has a mask on somehow it gets back to the main guy in charge that Tom Cruise doesn't belong there asks him to read out the password uh, he does and then he says, oh, no, no, the password to get in to the party, to get here. And it's like, that, like that's just a password to get in the door. And, and Tom Cruise sits there, like, dumbfounded. 
and then this other girl is like, no, I'll take myself as sacrifice. And and Tom Cruise is like, I don't, do I know who this person is? And then it turns out, oh, I forgot to mention another very strange scene in this. I'm sorry I'm jumping around, but like there's so many weird scenes in this movie. So the only way Tom Cruise can actually get into this party is that he needs a costume. Specifically, he needs to be wearing a tux, a cloak, and a mask. So he goes to this rainbow, um, it's this rainbow costume shop at like one o'clock in the morning to meet up with this guy, um, and and he's like offers to pay this guy like twice over the amount or like the deposit to be able to get this specific mask. So you can tell Tom Cruise is really. He, he kind of just throws his money around at people like he also at one point in the movie Holt has a taxi stay in one spot for like an hour and pay an office to pay him a hundred dollars over the the price on the taxi which I'm like okay he's a doctor he's got to be making good money but he's literally just throwing his money away throughout this whole movie anyways back to the costume guy so he he meets up with the costume guy who is like this kind of intimidating Russian guy who at some point in the movie they're, they've got their costume, they're ready to go and then all of a sudden they hear a rustling and so they think that somebody's broken in, they go into the office and it finds out that <clears throat> they find these two Asian um these two Asian men probably in their mid-50s and then out from behind the couch in the office comes his daughter, his 16 year old daughter wearing nothing but like a bra and underwear the two guys are like next to nude and he basically yells at them, kicks them out. The daughter goes, runs and hides behind Tom Cruise. Like, he's, she's scared of her dad, but she's, like, kind of turned on by Tom Cruise. It's a little weird. And she's, like, in her skivvies, basically. And it's like, what the heck is happening? The only reason I want to mention this is because later on in the movie, when he's done, when he comes back and survives this party, Tom Cruise goes to return the costume, and the daughter comes out of another room basically wearing the exact same thing she was wearing um, at, the, at that point in the movie. But then out of the room comes the two Asian men that were there before, the ones that she had, that he had yelled at, like threatened to basically kill. And um, they're, they're dressed and it's like, pleasure doing business with you. And I'm like, what is happening? And the daughter goes next to the, the dad and the dad's like, oh, you know, any, anything can be... Um, uh, negotiated or like that sort of thing and I'm like he's selling his daughter to he's selling his daughter for sex like that's exactly what she's doing that he's doing and the daughter's giving Tom Cruise the, the eye like yeah yeah you're next anyways that like <laughs> that's a bit of an, a discussion about Eyes Wide Shut aside from it being a overtly sexual film there's I can see where this film uh it definitely inspired the sequel to Fifty Shades, because there's a scene in Fifty Shades that involves a masquerade ball party, and the fact that the film, on the nose, is overtly sexual. <laughs> so, that's kind of neat, I guess. Um, not a bad film, though. I, I was thinking, I had to stop the film halfway through, and literally the next day, I, I had woke up early, because I was thinking about this film, and I was like, I want to know how it ends. So I got up, and I... And I sat down and I watched it. I, I, I sacrificed an hour of sleep this week in order to watch this film. That's just how good it was. I think I only gave it a 3.5 out of 5, though, on, on Letterboxd. So, 
you know, it is what it is. I definitely think, considering it's Kubrick's final film, it's a it's an excellent final film. Um, and, you know, people should go watch it, because it's Stanley Kubrick. Now, to finally cap this off, I'm going to go over my top ten games and films of all time. <clears throat> That's me clearing my throat. Okay, so what should I start with? I think I'm going to start with the games. So, when I was on Stardust Drive Productions, um, I had myself, as well as everybody that had come on and contributed, uh, write up a top five games of all time list. Some of those games were just quickly put together. Some people included full series. Um, oh, I think the cat just found a bug. Ooh. Sorry, I just got distracted. She kind of stopped and was sniffing a, a spot on the ground, but she was like dipping her nose at it and I was waiting for her to get up and smack the ground. There could still be a bug there. I'm not sure. Uh, she just seemed to kind of walk away and, and get disinterested in it. Anyways, I get distracted too easily because my cats are literally just, they're loads of adventure. So, I'm going to go through my top 10 games of all time list. Um, I didn't change the top 5, so if you have... If you follow me from Stardust Drive and you've seen the website, then you know what my top five is going to be. But I'm going to start from ten and go backwards to one. Kind of explain my choices a little bit, not in too much in depth because I don't. I, I'm not really good at speaking on the spot, which is kind of ironic because I'm hosting a podcast where I'm literally monologuing to myself. So number ten, this was a this was a solid ten choice. Like I was like, this is going in number ten. I don't want it to go any higher. In fact, I was finding games to put higher than this. Um, so this is Kingdom Hearts 2. And I can literally, in my ear, I can hear Anthony, my friend Anthony, probably laughing right now. Because he he despises the Kingdom Hearts series. And let me explain myself. I want to explain why I'm putting it in, in my top 10 list. Because it literally, it took me by surprise. The game came out in 2005. I rented it from Blockbuster. Uh, you know, just curious about the series. I had missed the first one. And was hoping that the second one would at least fill in the gaps. You know what it did. And it, with its story, its Roxas storyline, it helped fill in the gaps that I missed from Kingdom Hearts 1. But let me just, I'm putting it to you this way. 2005. The year was 2005. And my brother and I were still kind of in a, I mean, I was still at least, in a bit of an anime phase. Watching shows like Gundam Seed and Inuyasha and Bleach and Naruto and Full Metal Alchemist, like, whatever I could access on YTV. Let's just say that. Um, so, I felt like Kingdom Hearts was kind of the perfect blend of, like, edgy Japanese anime with Disney. So it was part, like, modern in that sense, but also very nostalgic, because there were a, a tons of Disney content that I hadn't thought about in years, and it just gave me waves and waves of nostalgia. Like, to name a few, obviously, like Mulan, um, The Lion King, Little Mermaid, Aladdin, and then I fell in love with the Tron level, and, and then also, like, the boss fights, the music, um, the, the combat at the time, which I thought was a lot better, it well-suited 2005, um, hasn't really aged very well, um, but Kingdom Hearts 2 was a solid entry in the series, and arguably, I uh, since I've played the, all three of them of the main 
uh, series and some of the spin-offs, I still think it's the best one. I still think it's the best Kingdom Hearts game. That's being said. Moving on to the, the next one on my list. Number nine. This was kind of my last choice. I was like, I just need something above Kingdom Hearts. So what can I put? Um, and I decided I chose Pokemon Silver. Specifically Pokemon Silver. I like the other Pokemon games, don't get me wrong. I played them all aside from the newest ones. But Pokemon Silver I put the most amount of time into. I I maxed out so many Pokemon. Um, Carter and I played for hours. Um, and we would battle, we would trade. Um, I... Ha I remember and I will never forget this was the first party that I had that I took note of I had all fire types in my party like I was I was framing myself as a fire lord I had a Typhlosion I had an I had a uh, Charizard I had Entei I had Ho-Oh Arcanine and Moltres that was my party and they were all level 100 um, I love that game I think I put over 900 hours into that game like that's what it looked like by the end of the time I played. Number 8. This one is a more recent entry. Red Dead Redemption 2. I I feel bad that when I first picked up this game, I didn't delve as deep as I wanted to into it. So I played it for about a week, and then put it down, because I'm like, the scope of this is just too big for me at the moment. I went, I went away from it, played some other games. I think Kingdom Hearts 3 was one of those games. And then I came back to it about 6 months later. And I went in hard. I did not come up for air for a good like four or five months. I was playing this game like nonstop, and I was putting in hours. Like I think this this was the first game since I was living at home that I had sunk four or five hours plus into a single day, into a single session. I fell in love with the world all over again, and I knew I would because I loved Red Dead One. But I. I think I'd like, like, I've been going back and forth, I've been talking to people, and people have kind of been against me on this. As to who the better protagonist is, I personally still like Arthur Morgan. I think Arthur Morgan is a solid protagonist. But, then I I had to start questioning myself. Because by the, by the epilogue, when you start to play as John Marston again, you learn a bit more about John Marston up until the, the, the points of when Red Dead 1 should be starting or maybe even like years before but still and i was like oh damn it i like john again too like i i was like ah i didn't like john because so and so and so i thought arthur was a lot more of a relatable character and i just thought that like he was just solid solid all around and just the, the storyline that they that they had written for him was like it was tragic um and yeah, no, it, I, I loved going going along with him. Um, and it was an entirely cinematic experience, too. Um, number seven. I've got another Rockstar game on here. This one I've sunk millions of hours into, for sure. Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, because this was my first experience playing a Grand Theft Auto game. Actually, owning a, a Grand Theft Auto game. That's to correct myself, because I played Vice City. I played 3. I played... Um, I played the PSP uh, ones, but San Andreas, I, I, I didn't finish the game. This is, I think, the only game on the list that I didn't finish the story, and I'll get, I'll tell you why. Because I had literally corrupted the game so hard with co with cheat codes. I found a cheat code book. I had been throwing codes at it left, right, and center. I think this game has the best 
soundtrack, arguably, of, of the entire franchise. Bounce FM is still the number one station in my mind. Like, I would literally listen to that station on repeat. Um, I love every song on that station. I love the I love CJ as a character. I love the world that in, that he encapsulates, um, and that's why I fell in love with GTA V because it was a return to a nostalgic place. I even went so far as to find the old Grove Street in GTA V. Like that's how much I loved San Andreas. Okay, number six on my list: The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. This was a game that I had played in college, and I played it. Um, basically as soon as it came out and it was one of the only games I was able to sell my friends on and they played it and they loved it as well um, Skyrim is it basically it's like you are creating your own your own path and story obviously you can do the main story missions but you can almost do them in any order that you want so you 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 get to a point where the game becomes open-ended you can go in any direction on the map it's insane um, like obviously there's parts that feel kind of level capped a little bit um like there's certain dungeons that you go into and you're like oh i maybe need to be a better level for this or um better skill tree level i went straight to the college of winterhold like literally i was like i want to be a mage I, I like i was having a tough time using the melee weapons and i'm like i think i would do better with magic so i went to the college of winterhold i signed myself up for the college of winterhold and did that story arc and I was able to dual wield fire. Like Kamehameha dual wield fire. That was my mission. And I did that from that point on in the game all the way to the end. Like there would be times I'd switch out like magic spells or I'd switch to staffs and use staffs when I ran out of uh, juice. But I was I was hardcore into magic spells. And, lo and I loved it. And I had so much fun with it. And the thing about that game and just the scope of the world, like, you could, you could, I, I don't think I've even finished all the side missions. Um, like, it, it's hard to. I'm sure there are people who have. But I could go and, t and talk to any number of friends who would have taken a different path than me. Um, and then they could be telling me about missions that I haven't even, like, done yet. Um, and, and visited spaces in the, in the world that I haven't even seen. And it's like, wow, we're sharing completely unique stories and we've taken completely different like paths on it it's it's an amazing game and it's one that you kind of build the story yourself and i would definitely get a updated version of skyrim for the ps4 for sure now we're entering the top five list this list has been pretty solid i haven't changed anything on this list but i'm going to go over it with you if this is the first time you're listening to it number five spider-man 2 the movie licensed spider-man now, you're probably wondering why I didn't put Marvel Spider-Man on there. Um, I definitely would. <clears throat> it's interchangeable, certainly. But Spider-Man 2 um, holds a place in my heart because it's also one of my favorite films of all time. And it was one of the only movie-licensed games that was actually very, very good. There's not a lot of very good movie-licensed games. Most of them are pretty trash. But this one had mastered the, the web-slinging controls. Like, it, you felt like Spider-Man in this game. This was the first time you really felt like Spider-Man in an open-world setting. And then you had an excellent cast of villains that you got to fight in this game. You got to fight Rhino. You got to fight Mysterio. You got to fight Shocker. And you got to fight Doc Ock. That's... It's only four villains, but they're very solid villains. 
Um, and the story, which followed very closely to the movie, but you still got to do a couple of things to fill in the gaps like that you would almost imagine would be between movie beats. I had a lot of fun with it. I sunk a lot of hours into it post-game as well, uh, trying to collect as much as I could. Still, it's still one of my it's still one of my favorite games of all time. Obviously, it's in my top five list. Number four, The Warriors. Yes, The Warriors game that uh, came out decades after the movie, which came out in 1979. Rockstar decided, hey, do you guys remember The Warriors? And they made an excellent, excellent game about around it. I got my friend Anthony onto it. My brother Carter's in on it, and we, we all loved. We quote that movie verbatim, and it's still one of my favorite movies of all time. So you're gonna see a trend in my movies list about Spider-Man Two and the Warriors. Just you wait. But the Warriors is for for 2005. There's so much to do in this game. It's not necessarily an open world, but it feels like it in some ways. There's open environments. And then there's all this side stuff. Like you can do, there's like an arcade game. There's like challenges you can do around your around your base. Um, then you have the multiplayer. Oh my god, the multiplayer. You have so many things. There's like a a, um, a free-for-all, like a battle. Like you can, you can create your own gang, customize your own gang of nine from basically every NPC in the game that you encounter and some that you don't even encounter like Carter and I made gangs that consisted of some bosses but we also I used like a a drug dealer um, and there are some gangs that I know you could use char like hobo characters you can use prostitute characters police officers and then other gang members you can customize your own gang and name them and just do all these different challenges like King of the Hill like um, last man standing sort of thing it's it's insane um, it still holds up. I I love The Warriors so much, um, and it's obviously one of my favorite films of all time, but I'll get to it in a sec. Number three, Shadow of the Colossus, the original. Never played the remake. feel I'd still love it, though, to this day, but the original Shadow of the Colossus took me by surprise. Um, for a game that's literally stripped of anything else, and the set, the, the set goal is to fight 16 bosses in a row. There's nothing else to it. You're basically riding from boss fight to boss fight with a, under the horse and a sword. And with the sword, you're shining a light. And as the light uh, guides to a direct beam, you follow that beam directly to your next encounter. And I was just blown away by the world. It's a massive world for a 2005 game. The graphics were amazing. Um, and the bosses were so, like, oh, they were terrifying. Because you have to imagine, and, and <clears throat> I've always thought about doing a video essay on this, because there were also a ton of unused colossi that never made it to the end game, and you can see screenshots for them. And you see areas throughout the map that are uninhabited, places that are big enough that could have housed a specific boss fight. And you think to yourself, <clears throat> even before you get to those specific areas in the world, um... Man, can you imagine like a colossal giant inhabiting a space like this? And then you're going and and even say when I booted up the game in one of my replays, I went and visited every setting of the boss before I had triggered that encounter to fight them, and I was just like blown away by the scope of the world um, and every unique location. The bosses obviously don't spawn until you have to fight them. But I imagine that they were just hiding around the corner, these massive 
colossal beasts, like including say the the um, the seventh boss, which is like a giant electric eel. I go to the the giant um, the giant pool where it resides, and I'm like, oh my goodness! I look at the at all the water, and I'm imagining he's got to be under the water. He's got to be there. He obviously doesn't show up until you get to his fight, but I'm like, that water is so massive, and imagine it's so deep, like that he's got to be under there and it's that feel of exploration it felt like a zelda game but on a larger scale and an end the ending of the game is in, incredibly emotional um and like <laughs> i encourage anybody who hasn't played it or hasn't checked it out to play it. it is one of those games that like i wish i could play it again for the first time if I had a list of games that I wish I could play for the first time again and just like, you know, blow me away, Shadow of the Colossus would be my number one, guaranteed. Number two, the Resident Evil Outbreak series. For anybody who hasn't heard of this series, it's from 2003 and 2004. There's a, uh, two games that were released on the PlayStation 2, um, and it's a spin-off game. We, now, we all know Resident Evil, the game series. Then the characters, like the iconic ones, like Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine and Leon Kennedy, these these big macho characters that they they're the faces of the Resident Evil franchise. But Outbreak felt so unique in that the characters that you play as you play as these eight characters plus a bunch of unlockable NPCs later on, but they're all just regular people. You have Jim, who's a a subway um, security guy. You have Yoko, who's a university student. You have Cindy, who is a waitress. You have George. George is my boy. He's a doctor at Raccoon City Hospital. They're just regular average people who all come together um, the night of the outbreak at Jay's bar. And from there, the, the game starts. Each game, Resident Evil 1, Outbreak 1, and 2, you are, play five different scenarios. And these five scenarios take place during the events of Resident Evil 2 and 3. So, basically, before the nuke goes off that destroys Raccoon City. Um, and the different worlds that you can imagine coincide with some of the places that you visit in these games. Like, for example, Jay's Bar uh, and then the level in Below Freezing Point are both visitable in Resident Evil 2 and 3, I believe. Um... But you, so you get to play in levels like, uh, in the bar, you get to play in an underground lab, hospital, hotel, the university, and then in the second game, you play in a zoo, which had some pretty unique monsters there, the subway, another abandoned hospital in a forest, and the forest level reminded me very much of Resident Evil 1, just being out in the middle of the Arklay Mountains, um... That's the fourth level. Oh, the police station, which is the setting of Resident Evil 2, as well as a another umbrella lab located within the city. Um, I love these games so much. And this is the first, their first foray into multiplayer. The multiplayer was terrible. Okay, it, it was terrible. I didn't play much of it, but the, the stuff I did was also very fun. And there were so many unlockable characters. And there was so much stuff to do. Um, and I did everything I could to play that game on different settings. Hard mode, very hard mode, because all the items would move to different locations when you switched the um, everything around. So everything, everywhere you thought you could find items, like specific keys to open doors, then got shuffled to different locations on the map, and then now you had to you know look through the map again. 
But with the difficulty amped up, you're now being uh, surrounded by more enemies and the enemies can kill you faster. So it made the game a lot more difficult to play. But aside from the fact that the multiplayer is still active, but you have to access it through a very specific Japanese server online and you have to play, be on the PC, um, which I still haven't tried, but I'm sure one day I will find a way. I have been a avid Outbreak supporter since the beginning, and I've been I've been one of those bring back Outbreak people. I want them to bring this game back so badly, um, and there have been chances where they have. And even Resident Evil Resistance, which is the multiplayer expansion on Resident Evil 3, is like the closest thing that we can get to a Resident Evil Outbreak uh, reboot, um, which I will eventually play. Um, Problem is, obviously, we don't have internet connection here at the in-laws' place. But I will find a way to play it. Um, anyways, that's all I have to say about... Oh, last thing. Outbreak is also the, the inspiration for the name of this podcast. It's been kind of in my name since the early days. Like, my Xbox gamer tag had Outbreak in it. My Twitch name has Outbreak in it. I like Outbreak has been one of my favorite words of all time. So you can see now where the inspiration for the Outbreak podcast came. Thank you, Resident Evil Outbreak, for being one of my underrated favorite games of all time. Now, number one spot. If you know me, if you really know me, if you don't know me, you're going to know me now. This game, it's a series. I'll pick my favorite specific game, though. But this series that has taken my number one spot Sorry, Siri just tried to turn off. The series that has taken my number one spot is the Rock Band series. I can't go anywhere in the world without hearing a song on the radio or hearing a song on Apple Music or hearing a song at a party without saying to somebody or even to my wife, and she will, she knows I say this, hey, I have this song on Rock Band. That's my quote. I'm honestly, I want to make it into a t-shirt because then now I can just point to the shirt if I hear a song that I know. I poured so much money into this game. Like, I fell in love with this game. Originally, Anthony and Chris played it first. They played Guitar Hero first. They got me hooked on the game because I love music. And arguably, Rock Band is the reason why my specific taste in music has changed to what it is today. I've fallen in love with, with um, different genres of music. And it's all thanks to Rock Band. Um, for example, I would have, I wouldn't have uh, fallen, re-fallen in love with with Muse, um, or Rush, or Silver Sun pickups. Um, I wouldn't have discovered that alternative rock was kind of my was kind of my thing, you know, alternative progressive indie like that was kind of my thing. Um, I know. And then when I was working at my part-time job, not making that much money. Well, half of my paycheck would be going to downloading more songs for Rock Band. To date, I think I have just I have just under a thousand songs on the game. And when I access them all, it's insane. Because you can watch, it takes me five minutes to scroll to the bottom of the list. That's how many fucking songs I have. So, if anybody ever wants to host a Rock Band party, and you have internet connection, hit me up, man. Because I will bring my shit over. And we will play Rock Band. I'm holding you to it. That is my top 10 games of all time list. And I know I've kind of gone over the typical time for a podcast. But we're 40 minutes in. I can't believe I've talked for this long. 
let's go into my top 10 films of all time list because this one actually was a surprisingly easier than I thought. All I did was I went to my Letterboxd app and I looked and I sorted by what I reviewed as four or five star movies. Four or five star movies. I had my top two choices already and I, I plotted them in. But I wanted the other eight. And I wanted a nice variety. So here's what I put together. Number 10. Oh, and some of these films, don't judge me, but uh, some of these films I've only seen once. But the reason why I would include them in my top 10 list is because they made me think about them for days and days after. Uh, there's not a lot of films that do that. So this was, this was a list that I put together that the movies either impacted me the moment I watched them or even days after I thought about them. So let's talk about number 10. It's a film called Boyhood. Directed by Richard Linklater in 2014, this film is the culmination of a close to a decade of filming. Um, he, throughout the course of the film, and it's a long film, it's I think over two and a half hours long, Richard Linklater started filming this, I believe in like 2003 or something like that. It was, and he filmed and filmed and filmed these characters up until 2013. And you see these characters age on screen. It's incredible. It's it's one of the most interesting films of all time. And it's a very basic premise. You're watching like a family like growing up. The the parents, played by Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette, they start off together in the film and eventually they separate and divorce. But they have these two kids that they're together for and that they're that they're still like raising together. And you watch these two kids, and the oldest son eventually goes away to university. Um, I, in anything, it's not like... But the reason why I put it at number 10, it's not like the best story, but it's just the concept. The fact that this film was, was shot like on and off for over a decade is amazing. And just watching... Just even the way that... like, like I had looked, and, and I thought to myself, like okay, this scene does feel like it's being filmed in 2003 to to present day, where it's a very different sort of cinematography and, and the lighting and tone. Like, they're very slight shifts. And then you're watching these characters, as it's like, all right, now, and this, as they change uh, the scene, this is a year later, and it's a year later, and you're watching these characters, especially the kids, because the kids have a noticeable change in the movie. They get older. Um, the parents get a little older they get some more wrinkles you know they age you know they start off young and then they become older more seasoned parents it's a great movie and and for the fact that it was filmed over a decade i encourage anybody to watch it and just as an art film itself number nine <laughs> number nine is is a very emotional film for me a marriage story starring adam driver and scarlett johansson it basically culminates in the um, the story of a couple's divorce uh, it hits close to home, obviously, because my, my parents went through a, a separation. But there were a lot of beats in the film that, and a lot of things that happened that I... It hit close to home for myself. And film almost brought me to tears by the end of it. I was like, wow, this was a very hard-hitting movie. And I would recommend it as an experience for somebody who's gone, who is has been the child of a separation or a divorce uh, because it's a very important story 
um, but I do encourage anybody to to check it out. It's well acted. It's well it's well cast. The script is amazing, and if anything, it hits the emotional story beats all the way. My number eight choice, It Follows. It's a horror movie, a very stylistic horror movie. And I was trying to explain it to my friend from work, uh, the same one who was trying to get me to um, make a top 10 TV shows list. Um, it Basically, it's about a presence that follows a certain individual um, after two people have shared in like sex. So for example, the beginning of the movie, there's this guy and this girl and they're having sex in a car. And then the guy basically AWOLs. He's like, all right, well, you know, it's your curse now. And the girl's like, I don't know what you mean. And all of a sudden, she's in a parking garage, and I think off screen she sees this ominous person walking towards her. So what I'm assuming is like, um, it's like a sex demon, I don't know, or an STD. I thought it was an STD taking the form of a person, just a random person, and, and can be, and it slowly follows these characters around in the film in the film but the person who is the one who had the sex is the only person that can see this person so the character's friends around them can't see this presence but they can feel it the presence can still invoke harm on these people it's like an invisible force but it's this slow brooding like spooky film that it keeps you on the edge of your seat um, I would highly recommend it the 2014 film amazing Number seven, Toy Story 3. Now, Toy Story was my jam. It, it, that movie slaps, I'm just saying. It, it, it's amazing. I watched the first, I rewatched the first two when I got Disney+. Plus. Oh, I love that trilogy. And I love Toy Story 4. But Toy Story 3, when it came out, because I watched the first two as a kid. You know, they were 90s films, I'm a 90s baby. 90s kids can relate to how hard this movie hits you in the gut by the end. Because when these characters are A, basically close to death, and then Andy, the boy who owns these toys, is going off to college and realizes that I can't take these toys with me because I'm an, I'm an older kid. I don't play with these toys anymore, but I'm going to give them away to somebody who does. Has this moment at the end of the film as he's giving them away. He introduces these characters to this girl, Bonnie, and it was like, Oh, this is uh, Mr. Potato Head. He's uh, he's Mr. Potato Head, and then he he goes to try to um, talk about Woody, and it's a combination of the music and just like that sinking feeling. Like this is gonna be the last time these two characters meet, and I I think I I shed tears in the theater when I watched it. I was like, oh my god, it's like me giving up my toys. I was like, oh my god, and it still hits me in the gut every time I watch it. Like it's like that that scene in Up. And we all know the scene from Up, um, where we watch uh, the uh, the life of the main character. It's like a gut punch like that. Um, so that's why this movie is so high on the list. A, because it's Toy Story, childhood favorite, but because of the emotional gut punch it gives me. Oh, every time. Excuse me. Number six, The Shining, the 1980 version. Not the miniseries from the 90s, the 1980 version. I just recently rewatched this, and... Oh my god, I, this film is amazing. It's shot so well. The tone, the pacing, the the silent ambiance, and just the cast. Oh, Jack Nicholson is amazing in this film. It's just too bad he's retired, but I mean, 
like this was him at his peak. He just he, and I know that Stephen King did not like Kubrick's version of it, uh, which is why that the miniseries was made and he was involved more in the miniseries and, and it being a closer nod to the book. I am curious to read the book, but the movie as itself. And if you haven't watched the documentary Room 237, which goes into all the conspiracies and the theories surrounding Kubrick's uh, film, it just made me love this film even more. I was watching, I was trying to pay attention to those little things that were mentioned in the documentary. Because um, it was it was something to be seen. It was, it was amazing. Number five. Now we're into my top five favorite films of all time list. This is amazing. And I love every film on, on this list, but my top five, these are the ones that, that uh, you know, any any of these could have been in the top five, to be honest. These were all great films, but here are my top five. Number five, Whiplash. As a, my friend at work thought it was Whip It, the, the Ellen Page movie, the rollerblading one, but I'm like, no, 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 Whiplash. This is the one that's got J.K. Simmons, um, you know, bring me pictures of Spider-Man, um, and Miles Teller. And uh, Miles Teller is a, a student at a music school who is um, playing the drums. And it's like a, a powerful character piece and a drama where, you know, Miles Teller's character is, is being given, like, basically physical, emotional, mental abuse by this instructor to be the best drummer ever. And it's just, you know, A, the fact that I was a drummer growing up, and I've always loved the drums, and the fact that, th that um, the music in this movie is amazing. In fact, if you haven't heard of Damien Chazelle, the director, he also did another film called La La Land, which um, was an amazing musical with great performances. I would highly recommend that too. I'd probably put that in my top 20 list, actually, if anything. But Whiplash gets up here because when I watched it, I was thinking about it for like a week after the film came out. It, I was like, this was amazing. And I sought the music out. I have the music on my phone. Um, I, I listen to this music all the time. It's, it's an amazing, amazing soundtrack. Number four, this is a film that I knew I was going to love as soon as I, um, as soon as I heard about it. It's a film called Get Out by Jordan Peele. This is Jordan Peele's directorial debut and it's a horror film. Um, I can't, I, probably not the best person to explain this, but it's basically like, <clears throat> from what, from memory, it's like a, it's a couple, a mixed race, or yeah, a mixed race couple, a, a black man going to visit his girlfriend's family home. And it turns out that the family has been converting black individuals into like slaves, like mind controlling them into being slaves, like their original, um, like the way that they were back in the early 1900s and the, like the, like the early turn of the century. Like basically mind controlling them into these like mindless zombies. It's kind of it's very scary in the fact that it's a it's a film that that delves into social issues, um, issues of race and color, um, and uses that as the as the um, bouncing point for its, its horror story. Um, it's a movie that impacted me a lot, and I don't really have much else to say about it because I'm I'm kind of the worst at describing it. It's one of those films I've only seen once, but I know in rewatching it time and time again I'm going to fall in love with it more and more but I had to put it this high on my list because it was like instantly I within the first hour I was hooked I like and and then the film pays off right at the end number three number three is the social network this is the Jesse Eisenberg as 
Mark Zuckerberg, The Origins of Facebook. I, I highly recommend this one. Honestly, as somebody who delved real deep into Facebook, I was curious as to the origins of Facebook, and I fell in love with this movie. Not only because of the way it was shot, you know, it's David Fincher directed it, and I love David Fincher's movies. Um, the soundtrack was by uh, Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails, so the soundtrack was equally as spooky. Um, the cinematography was amazing, and the cast... This was pre-Spider-Man for Andrew Garfield, and, and you have Andrew Garfield playing Eduardo Saverin, who is the co-founder of the Facebook with Jesse Eisenberg's Mark Zuckerberg. And you can almost imagine that there was a lot of controversy around this film, uh, in especially Jesse's portrayal of, of Zuckerberg, and I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg was kind of like, I wasn't that much of an asshole, was I? <laughs> and it's like... Well, it's not that he was an asshole. It's just that he didn't know how to speak to people, and he was just socially awkward. So it was like that was the kind of thing that you that was relatable in, in his character a bit. Um, but this film is this is a guaranteed number three spot for me. This is it's a film that I've rewatched time and time again. Love it, and it's always a go-to film for me to watch and to recommend to anybody for sure. It's a great drama film. Number two. And number one, you will not be surprised by these choices. They showed up on my games list. Number two was The Warriors. I played the game first, and the game kind of gave an extended backstory to to which that the events of this film became the second half of the game. So you get to learn about these characters. You go on missions, and you it in the game, it's building up to the events of this big meeting between all the gangs in New York. The movie starts off at this meeting where one of the leaders of the biggest gangs in New York gets shot and the warriors are then blamed for killing Cyrus, the main, the main guy. And it becomes this epic chase through New York to try to get back to their home back in Coney Island without getting wrecked by all these other gangs that are out to get them. It's an amazing film. And as, as my best friend Anthony described it, it's a cult classic of a film that involves a bunch of dudes running away. Um, it's literally just about these nine dudes running, and it's one of the best films of all time. Number one, easiest choice I've ever made, Spider-Man 2. And, you know, I've already explained why I love Spider-Man. Spider-Man's my boy. I, he's my favorite superhero of all time. I had a birthday one year, back in 2004, actually, around the time that Spider-Man 2 came out, that all my gifts were Spider-Man related. Yeah, exactly. I think that was the year I got my PlayStation 2 as well. If not, it was either 2003 or 2004. One of those years. But Spider-Man 2 has the best story of all time. And it also cemented the fact that Doc Ock is still my favorite villain in the Spider-Man universe. Still. There have been other villains that I've fallen in love with thanks to the, the, the movies kind of you know shedding them in a new light. But Doc Ock has always remained a classic. And, and this film, I rewatched it with Sam still holds up it is it slaps as they say as the kids are saying um but that's been my list um and you know what i i will probably consider doing a documentary and tv show list and i'll probably do it on a future podcast episode maybe not the next one but we'll see anyways this is a long one almost an hour long i'm so sorry for holding you all this long um and i hope you were interested in hearing my list uh and then hearing my uh take on eyes wide shut Thank you guys so much for tuning in. 
if you want to if you want to head over to my blog wkey.wordpress.com occasionally i will post news articles or feature length essays or general opinions on anything i find interesting and it all pertains to the entertainment and games industry typically sometimes it's about other things but whatever i'm interested in basically um, on the socials, you can follow The Outbreak Podcast on Facebook, and it's at facebook.com backslash The Outbreak Podcast. On Twitter, at Podcast Outbreak, but I encourage you to follow me personally on Twitter. I am at Will Key, K-E-E. Also, be sure to drop a review, perhaps subscribe to the podcast, listen to my backlog. I have six other episodes. They're amazing. They're also much, much shorter than this one. <laughs> So this podcast is hosted on podbean.com. But if you want to listen, we can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Listen Notes, iHeartRadio, etc., etc. Anyways, thank you all for tuning into this extra long episode. Have a good night. <laughs>